Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Do you still see yourself now as a comedian or an actor or... Dancer is what I see myself as, mainly... <laughs> Welcome to The Rhythm of Life with me, Oti Mabuzev, the podcast where we talk to my favorite celebrities, find out a little bit about their lives and what makes them tick. Today, we have someone very special to me. He's a comedian, an actor, a singer, a writer, but more than that, one of my greatest friends of all time. It is the remarkable Bill Bailey. Bill, it's so good to see you. And it's really good to see you, O.T. Thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. I mean, I couldn't miss it, could I? Do you know what? I was doing a little research on you and I was like, I know Bill, so I don't really need to research. But people might not know, uh, your name is actually Mark Bailey. So we start from the beginning, yes. Mark Bailey. But what I found out was that it's actually Mark Robert Bailey. Yes, it not is. Bill Bailey. That's right. Well, the thing is, Bill Bailey, as you know, is a nickname which yes. came about because of the song, Won't You yes. Come Home, Bill Bailey, which, of course, we danced the Charleston to. And the thing is that uh, it it happened quite early on when I was at school. Mm. Um, my geography teacher, Mr. Buckley, I think his name was, he just suddenly started calling me Bill. And <laughs> and everyone was like, why are you, sir, sir, why are you calling Mark Bill? And then he said this, he came up with this song, Won't You Come Home, Bill Bailey, which is no one had ever heard of because it's from the 1900s. <laughs> I mean, come on. Anyway, so like we're all going, oh, okay then. And it just stuck because I guess there's a kind of alliterative, you know, Bill Bailey, it's a little, yes, it rolls it off the tongue. Sense. Yeah. So like my mum hated it. Oh God, she hated the name Bill. <laughs> she just, really? oh no, because... She just didn't like it. You know, you can sometimes you have a negative association with a name because of someone that you know with that name, right? And it was as random as that. She had an Uncle Bill that she didn't like. So suddenly, like, Bill was like, ah, I don't like this name. So when I had... Now, this literally what happened was girlfriends, and, you know, back in the day when I, I had many girlfriends, the girlfriends would phone up the house and she'd go, hello, I speak to Bill. And she'd say, there's no Bill here. And she'd put the phone down on them. So they'd have to say Mark to to get through my mum, you know. So I just, it's kind of stuck, really. And I guess Mark, I don't feel like a Mark, though. Do you think I'm a Mark? I don't know. I, I know you as Mark. I, I like Mark. You like I Mark? Know, I like Mark. I didn't know Robert, though. Robert was the new guy. No, I know Robert's a new guy. Yeah. <laughs> Robert, again, was like, he came from some distant great-grandfather, so that's where Robert yeah. came from. And you were named Mark is after? Mark, well, this is the thing, right? Because my my both my parents' names were abbreviated or changed. My, my mother's name was actually a very beautiful um, double name, Maisie Doreen, right? Mm -hmm. So it was a hyphenated name, Maisie Doreen. But 
she she never got called that in her lifetime because <laughs> it got con- compressed into Madryn, right? So oh, it's right. like a it's like a composite name, and Madryn is a Welsh name meaning my dear. So it's a lovely name. And my dad's name was John Christopher Bailey, but nobody called him John. They all called him Chris. So. So so they were like, how can we stop this happening to our son? Let's call him a name that can't get shortened or can't get lengthened. You know, if you get if you're Robert, then you're Bob, you know, if you're William, then you're Bill. Let's call him Mark, right? That'll fix it. <laughs> and then like, you know, seven years old, I get called Bill. And they're like, Oh, how did this happen? <laughs> so uh anyway, anyway, that's it. That's the short answer. What was it like for you growing up? I mean, you were the child of two doctors. That's a yeah. lot of pressure. What was it like for you growing up? You're right. My mum was, uh, she was actually a nurse. She was actually a midwife and a, a staff nurse. And my dad was a GP. And uh, so growing up was um, the, the medical world really in, it was surrounded by it, you know, I, I, because mm-hmm. my, my dad's first surgery was in our house. Wow. So, so the front room of the house was his. There was a waiting room, and then the the actual the kind of consulting room, and uh, so you know what happened was patients would come to the house, and occasionally they'd get lost, and they need to be wandering around the house, and I would sort of <laughs> encounter these strangers in my house, like you know, and there's this small boy going, "Whoa, who are you?" And then gradually, what happened was, um, as I got a bit older, my voice broke. And my voice sounded very much like my father's voice on the phone. And yeah. what happened was when my dad was on call, patients would phone the house. The The call would be routed to our house when my dad was on call for him to answer and mm-hmm. answer patients' requests. So I would have answered the phone. They think it was my dad. So they'd start yeah. then unfurling all of their <laughs> symptoms and like, you know, and I'd be like, stop, stop it. Hello, is that the doctor? Yeah, yes. Well, doctor, I've got a terrible problem. Now, what it is, I've got this rash, and I'm going, stop, what, stop it, what? And then eventually they go, so what do you think? I go, I'll just get the doctor. And they go, well, who's this? (laughs) So it was was an interesting time. It's interesting to have a doctor's surgery in your house, put it that way. Yeah, but did you ever feel pressure to to want to become something in the medical world? Yeah, I think so. There was always, you know, like a bit of expectation there. Um, But it's a long, long haul, you know. I don't know if you Mm. know. I mean, you you know, you you must know people that have studied and it's a long haul and you Mm -hmm. really have to commit to it. And I think early on, they realized that I was more artistically you know uh, kind of inclined you know I played the piano I played guitar I sang I was in the school play I was good with languages and I think that they kind of realized that pushing that sort of medical side was maybe counterintuitive to what I was not like and so 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 fair play to them they didn't pressure me you know what I mean they kind of backed off a bit and allowed me to do my own thing amazing so when was the first time you played an instrument. How old were you? Was it the piano? The piano, yeah. That's it. I was a kid. I was a little kid, probably three or four years old. Oh. And um, we had a, a, an upright piano in our front room. Do you remember like that feeling, the first feeling you had when you just started playing for the first time? But an actual full song? Yeah, I mean, I, I can remember picking out a tune from the radio. You know, because my mum, mm. she loves to sing. She used to sing all the time. She had the radio on all the time. And 
one of the songs I vividly remember was Perry Como, Magic Moments, right? Oh. And, it, and it's, it's, a, it's a classic sort of pop song. It's like magic moments, moments we've been sharing. And then there's a bit that goes... And I learned this little tune on the piano. And that was the first thing I remember just picking this tune out on the piano. My mum just going, oh, look, you can play. And then, of course... I realised I had perfect pitch, which means that you can find out the pitch of something without recourse to a piano. So I'd listen to something like a domestic appliance, like a Hoover, and I think, "Oh, that's B flat," and ding, and I play it on the piano. And really? uh, yeah, it's a it's a it's a strange facility that a few people have. Now, and, is that um, something you're just born with, or you? Yeah, just really... you're just born with it. It's just wow. a it's just a thing. You know? You're just a really super super human being. Aren't it's a superhuman you? strength. Yeah. <laughs> Why are you not in the Disney Avengers film? <laughs> Wait, we need Bill. We need Tune Boy. Wait a second, where is he? <gasps> what is the tune of that sound? <gasps> B flat. Actually, it's not, it's not really that useful, to be honest. Oh, you never know. They could do something with it. So you go from piano. Yeah. And then you're like, okay, fine. I've got perfect pitch. I can do this. Then you go on and you learn about 20 other instruments. Yeah. Let's go through the list of instruments that you can actually play. Okay. We've got an hour, because there's loads. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, so there's piano, guitars. So from guitar, I taught myself the, the electric, the acoustic, the Spanish guitar, the bass guitar, uh, the 12-string. And then I taught myself how to play and a mandolin. From there, I taught myself the mandola. And from that, I taught myself the oud, which is um, an Iranian, a Persian instrument with 10 strings. And then I taught myself the sitern, which is a 10-string old English instrument. And then the saz, which is a Turkish three-stringed instrument. And then the mm-hmm. Greek bazooki. Um, and then I went on to drums, and I love the drums. I love rhythm. you know. And so I taught myself the drums with a drum kit, an old drum kit my cousin had. And then I've taught myself bongos and uh, congas and claves and the triangle and sticks. And then I moved on to marimbas and xylophones. And then lately, more sort of esoteric, eclectic instruments like the theremin, which is a sort of, you know, an instrument you use, you play by uh, proximity. You put your hand close to an aerial and it makes Mm. a kind of sort of sound. And and then more percussion stuff, like a, a, a sort of... A metal drum called um, a hang drum. I taught myself that. Yeah, so I always always keep learning. Always learning. Which was which was the one you learned in lockdown? That, that was the uh, the mando uh, the the mandola. That was the one I played on Graham Norton. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> oh my gosh! So you've obviously got this passion for for learning and constantly always evolving. Where do you get kind of that that passion actually for learning from? Um, I. Do you know what? I think uh, I I had very supportive parents. I think my mum and dad were very, very supportive. They didn't railroad me into doing one or other thing. It wasn't like you yeah. have to do this. You can, you know, keep learning. Keep, you know, they encouraged me to learn more instruments. I had um, a, a brilliant music teacher, I think. Her name was Linda Phipps. And she, I really credit her with a huge influence on my life because... She was more than a teacher. You know, like the best teachers, and I include you in this, OT, Aww. are the people who are not, they don't just impart a skill, but they inspire and they instill confidence 
in people. And that's what the best teachers do. And that's what you did with me. And that's what Linda did when I was a kid. And what she did was she, she encouraged me to play the piano. She taught mm. me to a very high level. I mean, I, I went up to like diploma level, uh, a teaching diploma level and a performance diploma at, um, at the London College of Music. And basically she would say, no, you can do better. You can always do better. We, we would play a, a piece of music and she'd say, well, you know what, Bill, uh, Mark, it would be then. She'd say, uh, <laughs> of course, you know, she'd say, why don't you do a, 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 a recital? You know, and I was like, I I was not confident enough to do that. You know, like I was, I was thinking I can't get up in front of people in the school and all the governors with an orchestra. Like I can't do that. She goes, No, you yeah. can. You can do that. And she encouraged me to do that. And you know what it is like. Every time I step on stage now, even from like through all the years, from like playing in little clubs through to playing at Wembley, mm-hmm. I hear her voice. It's her voice there. You can do more, you know. Yeah. You've got this. And so I think that you can never underestimate the, the, the influence and the power of good teaching. I think it's one of the greatest things you can do. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Were you ever in, in a band in like a little yeah. high school? The back door, didn't you call it or something like no, that? No, they were called behind closed doors. Behind, not the back door. <laughs> well, I mean, that's where we came in. But yeah, behind closed doors, which was pretty, which was quite good because that's pretty where, much where we did all our gigs. You know, we didn't do any much performing. But yeah, it was great. We had a school band. We performed around the schools around the area in a couple of gigs and I played the keyboards. And, uh, and then I was in a band called The Famous Five. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a local West Country band. We had a deal. We had a management deal. We were going places. I was sixteen. You know, I was like, "This is I'm living the dream." I mean, where do you get this this drive from, Bill? Where does it come from? Part of it might be that it's it's me, just me. Maybe I don't know. I don't have any brothers and sisters, so I was like, you know what I mean? I was I was a gr- raised an only child, mm-hmm. so there's it's there's good and bad with that. You know, there's like. You know, the, 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 you don't have any, you don't have the sibling relationship. Yeah. But then, but then you have a kind of self reliance. I think. Yeah. Maybe I don't know. I'm just. I'm not a psychologist. <laughs> you, you're the psychologist, Doty. You figure it out. <laughs> you're the one that looks like like laser light into your people's eyes and goes, "Yeah, I know you. I can see you. I know what you are. You had the measure of me. I tell you." <laughs> 
I just love to know. You know, I just love to know what people are yeah, up to. Of so you then do. you go from instruments and playing music. Yeah. You go to college and you study drama. Is that yeah, right? That's right. English and drama. Yeah. Why? Well, I don't know. I guess I. I it's it's something which is uh, sort of a, a feature of my life. It's like a it's like a recurring theme, if you will, and that is that I always like to do more than one thing, you know. And I just mm. couldn't settle on one subject, you know. I didn't. I thought if I do one subject, I'm going to get bored of that, so I have to do two subjects. Yeah. And so I have to kind of keep my options open and see what I want to do. Do I want to become an academic? Do I want to become an actor? Da, da, da. I don't know. And I guess I still don't know. I'm still figuring it out. <laughs> Even today, if you were going to become an academic, what would you have done? Oh, I think language, something to do with language or history, like the history of, of English literature, maybe. Or do you know what? Latterly, I think I would love to have studied, and, and I still I do now as a kind of layman, but I study conservation and nature and animals mm. and zoology and uh, that's something is perhaps uh, something i would study something i would you know i would love to study because i just yeah. think it's so fascinating so maybe one of those things i love how you encourage just constant learning and constant studying yeah i think so you can you always have to stay curious about things because you know we have uh, and I'm aware of this now, you know, yeah, we, we have, I have a certain amount, we all have time, but we want to make the best use of it. And mm. there's so much to know. The older I get, I feel, God, there's so much I don't know. There's more mm. stuff that I don't know that I need to know about, that I want to know about. And you have to become selective and become a bit more rigorous with how you apportion your time. What are the things you still want to learn about? Um, I'd like to learn more languages. I'd like to learn the difficult languages, languages that are beautiful and uh, have contained wonderful um, works of literature and art and poetry, like Russian and mm -hmm. Arabic. Uh, I just think those, you know, like when I hear people speak in Russian, I just think I'd love to be able to speak that and understand it and read Tolstoy and Pushkin and all these great writers in Russian. And uh, and Arabic as well. I'd love to be able to converse in Arabic and speak to you know people and find. It's a way to get under the skin of of people and to get and know how they tick. Is to learn a language. Really? And I think, yeah, I think that's and and and, and I, I in the research I did for my book, I found that if you can speak another language, it makes your own language improve because you 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 is part of the brain which actually deals with language, which makes it refines the way that you speak. If wow. you're speaking in another language, it, the, the bit of the, the brain that's working on that language is affecting your own language. So, you know, uh, everything. I'd like to learn that. I'd like to learn how to fly a plane. <laughs> and um, I don't know. <laughs> Those you are went things. from something so, so serious to something so not yeah. so serious. Well, that's me. You know, that's what I'm like. <laughs> and and why why do you get bored so easily? What is it about doing so many things at the same time that attracts you? Maybe this is something that I got into a habit of doing when I was a kid, and that was what I I would I always wanted to be occupied by doing something. I think when you're spending time on your own as an only child, you do do that. You 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 mm. make time for you. You know you do all kinds of things yourself. And I guess I'm got I've got into the habit of that very early on. And I, uh, I, I find I, I'm always on the lookout for doing something. If I'm reading a book, I'm reading four other books. You know, right now I'm reading 
five books at the same time. I do that. I do that as well. I love reading yeah. books at the same time. Do you find, though, that I find I like to read different kinds of books because it suits my mood at that time, you know? I, I feel not suits my mood. I feel like certain books can alter my mood. So if I'm watching, like, I'm reading like a crime, yeah, then I'm like, don't talk to me like that. And then if I'm reading like a self-help book, I'm like... Look, this is our journey. This is not somebody else's journey. It alters my mood. Yeah, that's true. No, it's absolutely right. Yeah, it's a very good idea. Yeah, um, I'm reading the historical novel right at the moment, the, um, the Mirror and the Light. You know, it's the Hilary Mantel. It's all about it's all about Oliver Cromwell and Henry VIII, and it's uh, it's a fascinating insight into that time. And then, of course, and then I'll read a a, a sort of um, a contemporary book, like a sort of thriller or something, as a kind yeah. of just a, as a sort of lighter read and then back to something a bit like, you know, like one of the um, you Noah Hari books, those kind of books about the history of mankind and, you know, sapiens and homo sapiens and the history of and how we've developed and things like that. It's just constantly activating Reading. the brain. Yeah, that is absorb. so important. Yeah. So, so you then went from studying drama. Yeah. You then decide, okay, I'm going to go into TV. Was that the next step? Well, the next step was no. Well, the next step was performance, doing comedy. Ooh. So I was oh. like, you know, I was doing stand up in London because right about that time in the sort of uh, back in the olden days, mm-hmm. uh, when uh, I first came to London in the sort of mid eighties, comedy was really starting to sort of take off, and so I just happened to kind of, you know, get in part of this. I was part of this scene, you know. I was just, it was burgeoning comedy scene everywhere and so there was clubs opening up and uh it was really kind of sort of homemade self-made it was really ad hoc it was brilliant you know funny little rooms in the backs of pubs one of the one of the first gigs i went to and this sounds like a cliche it was a vegan anarchist commune right <laughs> it just sounds like something out of a sitcom yeah we'll set the comedy club in a vegan comedy and it was it was and it was you know this is like this is how it was then. Oh, it was joyous. So you go from <laughs> studying drama yeah. into comedy, which yes. just seems so so really different because you were a musician, great musician, great, great son, of course, because you were the only one, into comedy. Have you always wanted to entertain people? And why comedy? Uh, yeah. Do you know, I loved comedy right from a very early age. And um, I loved listening to Monty Python records, to Pete and Dud, Dudley Moore and Peter Cook. Well, oh, me, me and my cousin would sit and listen to them and we would learn whole sections of it. We would, you know, we would just sit around and listen to it. We listened to the Monty Python album, like the vinyl albums of, of their stuff. Which was just, which was brilliant, and there's something about, I guess, comedy is something which is like a secret club, which you find yeah. yourself in when you find people who have the same sense of humour as you. It's like, wow, we've tapped into some secret world, you know? Like yeah. only we find this funny. Ah, this is amazing, <laughs> and and it 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 feels like you you have a 
you a sort of a window into another world, into another way of thinking, another way of looking at the world. I always think that's what it's like when you go and see comedy for the first time. If you've never seen stand-up, you've never seen live comedy before, and you go and see it, and someone, a stranger to you, someone you've never known and never met before, gets up on stage and says something like, you know what it's like when you do this? And you think, yeah, that's it, I do that! I actually, actually, I've literally just done that. How are you doing this? You're like some shaman, you're like some wizard. And that's electric, it's like an amazing connection. And then, yeah. But then gradually, you know, you go and see more comedy and you get to know it and you realise it. But that first moment... You'll never repeat that. And that's why I think, that's why I got the bug. Yeah. I, I got that bug. And I love the way that comedy takes you in different places, takes you in different directions. It's silly. It's, it's, it's kind of a lateral way of looking at things. And I've always maybe had that. And so that always like appealed to me. And I, and when I, when I realized that you could actually do that, you could just get up on stage and think up stuff and songs and daft stuff and people would enjoy it. I couldn't believe it. I was like, I can't believe this is a thing. Amazing. How could this be a job? That could be this. I never thought I'd end up doing it for years and years and years. I just thought it would be like a fun thing to do for a bit. And then suddenly, you know, you find yourself, oh, wow, I'm in, on stage at a big theatre and, you know, this is like and 20 years later. And people are laughing and they People are laughing, you. yeah. So yeah. first gig, where was the first gig? My first gig, right, was in a, a nightclub in Bath where I grew up, where yeah. I went to school. And it was called Moles Club. And uh, it was a, a nightclub. And um, it was, uh, you know, th- just a, a place, an after-hours club in Bath. And I've uh, I've actually found my... Um, I, don't, I don't have it here. I wish I had it. I'd be able to show you. But it's my membership card when I was 18. And I've still got it. And it says life membership. So I, I always, when I go back there, I always <laughs> show it and go, yeah, see, look, life membership. And I was 18. We persuaded the club owner to let us have the venue for a comedy night and he'd never they never had comedy there before and he was like i don't know i don't know about this but it was great it was it was i gotta say a bit shambolic okay i'll be honest with you it wasn't slick by any means but it had something and that was a bug it was like and this is the it's like grabbing hold of an electric cable Mm -hmm. and you go (laughs) like that and then you tell a joke and people laugh, and it's like again. So it gives you like a little high. This high, and yeah. you and you never ever, and you always want to get it. You want more of it. It's it's compulsive. That's amazing. So okay, what happens? Or have you ever done so bad, told told jokes, and then no one laugh and go, oh gosh, mm. that that was a bad show. Yeah, it happens to everyone. Every comic has it when you're learning. You, you sometimes you go through these ups and downs, these peaks mm. and troughs. You have a great gig and you think, that's it, God, I'm the greatest. And then you have another gig, nothing. nothing. And it goes really bad. For some reason, you forget the thing, you, you gabble, you speak too fast, you forget something. And it can be really, it's tough. It's really tough because you your confidence gets knocked and you think, well, I don't know, I've had to do this. And then you just keep plowing you get back on the horse get back on the stage do another gig and then that goes well it's about determination you have to be very determined but yeah you of course yeah. you have bad gigs i mean i remember a gig i remember a gig when it was just going badly and it wasn't <laughs> working and the light the, the routines weren't working and a woman in the front row she called me down to her i went right down to her and she whispered in my ear she just went 
She said, just go home. <laughs> just go home. Like that. And, and I've got to say, of all the heckles, that's probably the most devastating. You know what I mean? Like, if it was a bloke, like, blokes are like sort of stags, you know, locking horns, like, shut up, get, go, get off, get off the stage. And you're like, yeah, get off the stage. Yeah, you want some? But something about a woman, it's very emasculating. Just go home. Just stop this. No, stop this madness. You know, it's not working. Just, you know? Has it ever, ever gotten so bad, though, where you go, okay, that's it. I quit comedy. I'm going to do something else. Uh, I think uh, there was a time when when you're just kind of, you feel like I'm just kind of plodding along, treading water here, and I'm not getting anywhere. And uh, I I had a job in telesales for a bit. That was a disaster. (laughs) It was a disaster. I tell you why, because the bloke made me wear a tie. And I'm like, they can't see me. It's on the phone. They they can't see me. This was before (laughs) Zoom. (laughs) So he made you wear a tie to answer phone calls. Yeah. (laughs) I had to wear a suit and a tie to sell advertising space in a business magazine. And I'm like, they they can't see you. I just tell them, no, well, we like to keep standards in the office. (laughs) I didn't get on with him. I lasted about a week, two weeks or something. Okay, that's it for part one. Come join us for part two. It'll be right where you found us. We need to talk more about comedy, TV, and of course, Strictly, as we are talking to the Strictly champ. (laughs) See you for part two of The Rhythm of Life. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well. Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 